FDIC is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market, think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. This is Brienne Miller, co-founder and CEO of NADA in Vancouver. As a marine biologist, Brienne understands the negative impact our current food system is having on our oceans. Choosing social entrepreneurship as her avenue to make positive change, Brienne and her team are committed to revolutionizing the food system from the ground up to ensure future generations can continue to enjoy and benefit from the world's oceans. NADA is a package-free grocery store delivering a unique and impactful shopping experience to its customers. As a certified B Corporation, NADA balances purpose and profit, while not only inspiring people to shop differently, but creating the space to allow them to do so. Customers are encouraged to bring their own jars and containers for the food they wish to purchase, as well as their bags. NADA has been built to support the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals 12, 13, and 14 for responsible consumption and production, climate action, and life below water. Brianna is a United Nations Not Wasting Ambassador and currently sits on the Vancouver Food Policy Council. 
Brianne is a 2018 CEO Venture winner, and her work has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and the Huffington Post. Most recently, Brianne and Nada were recognized as 1% for the Planet's Business Member Changemaker of the Year. In today's episode, we'll talk about her transition into entrepreneurship and how she's building a community that believes in the Nada mission. Welcome to the show, Brianne. Thanks so much. Nice to be on. So I'd love to know, what was what inspired your passion to pursue marine biology? Oh, I, I get asked that a lot, actually, because I grew up in a tiny little town in Ontario that was about a 12-hour drive uh, from the ocean. Um, but I was really lucky as a kid. My entire family um, was really into traveling and camping. And both sets of my grandparents spent uh, a lot of their time in Florida, near typical uh, Canadian snowbirds and flocking down south during the winter and was really lucky to um, have the opportunity to, to visit them there and spend a lot of time on the ocean in Florida and just really absolutely fell in love uh, with the ocean and all of its creatures. Incredible. I mean, when I was a kid, I also, well, I dreamed of being a marine <laughs> biologist. I did not become one. Yeah. <laughs> but I am curious as to like, how did you jump from marine biology into entrepreneurship and nada? Yeah, it was uh, definitely been quite the journey. I certainly never thought uh, that I would be opening a grocery store one day. It's certainly a little bit different from life in academia. <laughs> But marine biology itself uh, brought me to a lot of really spectacular and remote field sites around the world. Um, so I worked in, in biology for almost a decade, studying everything from coral reefs and tropical fish and then ultimately marine mammals, um, which was the job that brought me to the, the West Coast. And as, as a part of a lot of those jobs, um, I had the opportunity to live and work and travel in a lot of these really remote places that were, you know, places that you would think are really pristine and beautiful, but when you actually see them close up, you realize just how much plastic pollution there is. And I saw this repeatedly everywhere, all around the world. Um, you know, everything from right here in Canada, both on the East and West coasts, um, to a lot of different countries around the world, including um, Indonesia and Belize, Florida, Hawaii, uh, and everything in between. And I essentially have never, I've never been on a single dive where I haven't seen plastic. I've never been on a single beach that hasn't been completely littered with plastic and have done a lot of boat surveys as well, where it just became very apparent very quickly, just how global and widespread the plastic pollution problem was. And I ultimately ended up having um, a really great job after my master's degree, uh, where I was working for Fisheries and Oceans Canada in Northern Quebec. And I had the, the opportunity to do what is called marine mammal observing. So essentially, I was working at a construction site and had a lot of time uh, to myself. Um, it was my job essentially to look out to see and alert um, the construction of this fishing wharf to stop whenever marine mammals entered the area, um, because the noise from the construction can re really impact how they're foraging and communicating and things like that. And I essentially had a lot of time. Uh, to myself that summer, just staring out to sea and really started to um, make the connection between the health of our oceans and our food system. So I started to realize that all of the impacts um, that I was seeing on the vast, uh, vast majority of the species that I was studying uh, were impacted in some capacity, either directly or indirectly by food. So some of those consequences um, are things like shipping noise. So we you know, rely on a, a global economy of shipping goods and especially food around the world. And there are lots of impacts of ocean noise from the, the shipping um, 
tankers that are transporting goods that impacts marine mammals. Um, industrial agriculture has huge consequences in terms of uh, the runoff that enters the ocean and creating dead zones. Marine debris and plastic pollution were a really big one as well. And this whole concept for our store essentially started off as this idea to try and support a more just food system that looked at the food system as a whole and really tried to tackle uh, not just the, the packaging issues, but um, a lot of the broader impacts that come from our food system. So what made food the entry point for you? Uh, what what allowed that to be the focal point? Uh, I think the, the biggest part of it was definitely uh, a pain point in my own life. So it was a problem uh, that I was having a really hard time uh, figuring out how to tackle. Um, so as I, I learned a little bit more about our food system and just starting to reduce waste and my consumption in general, I found that... Um, where that was really tricky involved food. So whether it was purchasing food or growing food or eating out, um, it was all really hard to do without packaging. And so Allison and I, um, Allison especially is a, a big foodie as well. And we both really love to, to cook and bake. And we had a lot of frustration in our personal lives in terms of trying to reduce waste because a lot of the waste that we were creating came from food. So that's where we wanted to start tackling it. Something that I read today kind of hurt my brain, and it was around when we're looking at plastics and single-use plastic particularly, which Canada, this this government has committed to by 2021, hopefully making that no longer uh, allowed in Canada, but um, that plastic never goes away. So even when, like, it just turns into small particles of plastic that we can still find on the sand and things like this. So really, when we create plastic in our world, there's no way of really getting rid of it. And only something like a very small percentage of plastic in the world actually gets recycled. Yeah. So we, we've learned so much about the recycling and, and waste industry since we've gotten into this. Um, but yes, that's, that's absolutely true. And there are a lot of issues around this plastic when it does break down in the natural environment. So a lot of the, the plastic that is in the recycling or, or in the garbage ultimately does um, make its way into the natural environment, either on land or in water. And a lot of it flows into the ocean. And as it breaks down over time, uh, what happens is that these larger pieces become smaller and smaller and smaller, and then they essentially look like food. So you have really small marine organisms and fish that end up eating these bits. They're called microplastics. Um, they eat these small pieces, and then larger fish eat them, and then larger fish eat them, and then these pieces, you know, ultimately end up in the fish that's on our own plates. So that's a really uh, a really, really big problem. And there's lots of issues with um, plastic itself in terms of the toxins that it leaches um, into the animals and, you know, and potentially also us. And then you're, you're totally right. Uh, a lot of the plastic um, that has been produced since uh, the production of plastic really started to take off in the 50s after World War II. Um, the vast majority of it has actually not been recycled. So worldwide, only 9% of plastic has been recycled. Um, the, re the rest of it, you know, still, still exists in its original form. And what's been really interesting for us to learn and why we're trying to tackle this problem at the source as opposed to at uh, the end with coming up with solutions how to deal with the plastic pollution is that plastic itself is essentially um, like any other commodity. So, you know, when you're trading, uh, when countries are trading commodities like wheat or oil, uh, recycling is essentially treated the same way. So 
even if uh, a recyclable item ends up in a recycling facility, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a purchaser for that um, recycled plastic at the end. And a lot of recycling facilities are essentially limited by the space that they have. So if, um, if a commodity doesn't have a high enough price that they're willing to sell it at, they sit on it until um, there's a demand for it. But if that demand never comes and they run out of space, that's when we end up with large proportions uh, of plastic and what we think are products that are being recycled um, go into the landfill. So that's, uh, yeah, it's a really, really big problem that not a lot of people know about and definitely a mindset that we're trying to change by starting to encourage these really small individual actions that people can take in their everyday lives that really do add up and, you know, start to start to drive this com- consumer demand that is uh, encouraging businesses and governments to follow suit. I find that so fascinating, absolutely. And, you know, my own education around plastics is is very new. And, and I learned these things from an Instagram post today. Mm-hmm. So praise be social media <laughs> in this in this instant. Um, but when it comes to educating around zero waste grocery stores, what has that been like with your audience and with your consumers? Um, is there a big education gap? Do you have to bring people a bit of the way before they even come through the door at NADA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so community, especially in education, very much are at the heart of what we do and a very key part of our business model. So before we even are um, opened our retail doors. We had been operating um, via pop-up shops uh, for about two years before we opened our first retail location. So a big part of what we were doing was just having a presence in the community. We were doing lots of things like workshops and panel discussions and going into schools and, you know, uh, working with teachers to do things like field trips, um, just building up awareness around the issues and, and what we were doing as a company to try and tackle them. So absolutely, that was a really um, big part of what we've done and what we continue to do. Um, I think most most importantly for us, it's really trying to meet people where they're at. Um, you know, everyone is on a different journey in terms of, you know, their their lifestyles and trying to reduce waste. Um, so we definitely recognize that. And we Um, yeah, we're just, we have a very open and welcoming space and culture and a really wonderful team that's really keen to help teach people about how they can reduce their waste. So, um, when people come in the door, we're, you know, we're constantly educating and sharing some tips and tricks and we have lots of ways, um, that people can facilitate their grocery shopping purchases, even if they come in and they've never heard of us before and they don't have any containers on them. We've got lots of, uh, solutions in store to help facilitate that. And in terms of the community that does walk through the door, um, community building obviously is a big part of uh, of your brand ethos. And and can you talk a little bit about what that's looked like, how the community has grown, how the support in the community has grown? So we've been really excited to see our community grow, especially in the last year since we opened our retail store. Um, there are just a lot more people that are hearing about the zero waste movement in general and just starting to think about how they can reduce um, the impact of their purchases on both people and planet. So that's been really exciting to see. Um, a lot of our community is definitely built through word of mouth. So we have a lot of customers that come to us because they have a friend or a family member who's you know been in the store or is trying to reduce their waste in some capacity. And it's really inspiring for us to 
to watch that movement grow and people get inspired by something as simple as a reusable straw or a reusable container. So when, you know, people have these things out in the world, they just often spark these really fun and interesting conversations. Like if you have a, a straw in your, or a reusable straw, um, in your glass at a bar or you have a stainless steel container that you're using to get takeout food. It often just sparks these really great conversations where people are like, Oh, like, why do you have that? Or where did it come from? Or why are you doing that? Um, and it's those, I think those grassroots conversations that really start to, to drive interest and encourage people to maybe start making some of those changes themselves. Which goes against, I would assume the ethos of a lot of larger corporations and how they're trying to promote more consumerism in some ways, even though many are trying to be more responsible. Um, can you speak to some of the trends you're seeing at the at the larger level in terms of plastic use or waste reduction for corporations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a really interesting conversation for us to, to be a part of. Um, it's, there's like this interesting dynamic between um, consumers and companies and government as well and where the responsibility lies uh, to start changing things. And I think it ultimately needs to come from all sides. Like consumers obviously play a really big part in that conversation because if they start to demand change or how things are packaged or how they're shipped or what they're made of or where they come from, um, businesses will ultimately adapt. Um, and then it's, you know, the same side of the coin as well. Like we're really, we're starting to see government uh, policy follow suit um, because if you have enough of a voting base that really cares about an issue, then policies will ultimately uh, fall into place that, that match those. So um, that's really exciting to see that dynamic play out. But from a, a corporation side of things, there's definitely a trend, I think, in larger companies really starting to listen to consumers when it comes to reducing waste, especially and taking action on, on climate as well. Um, there's certainly a really long way to go. Um, but we really are starting to see some really great leaders in the space. And I think it's really, it'll be really exciting to see over time how the larger organizations, especially, uh, start to adapt to a growing consumer demand for waste reduction. And speaking of policy, I mentioned this briefly earlier, but I'd love your thoughts on, on our shift towards potentially um, getting rid of single-use plastics in Canada. What was what was it like when that announcement took place for you guys? Oh, it was definitely really exciting. It was something we uh, shared with our team immediately. Um, it's great. I think it's really wonderful that Canada is taking a stance and following the suit uh, or following suit behind a lot of uh, European countries in the European Union in terms of making a stance um, around single-use plastics and trying to to remove them. Uh, I think it's definitely. Uh, easier said than done. Um, it does certainly take a lot of a lot of work and time and, and energy to try and come up with solutions. But ultimately, we don't have a lot of time. These things need to happen now. And I think it's great that there's some policy being put in place to, to help push organizations ahead that might not otherwise be thinking about these issues. And you said it off when we were uh, prior to chatting that it's nice to see policy actually catching up with the change that's being made by folks like you. Um, because there's consumers who are ready for this, there's entrepreneurs who are ready for this, you are B Corp certified, this is such a big part of your ethos. And now finally, both larger corporations and government are catching on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's so much around this conversation uh, from a business perspective that really makes sense as well, right? Like there's a lot of evidence um, and studies out there that support um, the, the idea or concept that businesses 
uh, that do good in terms of, you know, social and environmental responsibility do well financially as well. Um, that's definitely something that we see. Um, we are a company that very much prioritizes uh, taking care of both people and planets um, in addition to profit. And you can certainly pursue all three at the same time and have definitely been guided a lot um, in what we've learned uh, through the frameworks for uh, B Corporations. So we are a certified B Corp and also 1% for the planet, um, which is an or- a worldwide organization uh, started by uh, Patagonia's founder um, that encourages uh, companies to donate 1% of their top line revenue to grassroots environmental organizations. So um those logos and those certifications really do mean a lot uh, to consumers. And, you know, we're like all over the world, we're seeing this shift in consumers transitioning to making more sustainable purchases and really starting to think about the impacts of their purchases uh, on the planet. Can you share a little bit about how you became aligned with the sustainable development goals and your work with the UN? Yeah. Um, so my, I actually used to work for uh, the United Nations Environment Program just out of university when uh, I was still living in Montreal. Um, so the sustainable development goals are something that have always uh, really been on my radar. Um, and very early on in our venture, we won a United Nations Environment Program uh, and CEC uh, competition around food waste. Um, that's a you know part of the conversation we actually haven't really touched on too much yet as well, but a big part of what we do in addition to tackling uh, plastic pollution is also tackling uh, food waste or surplus food um, because a lot of food that ends up in landfills or in the garbage is actually one of the largest drivers of greenhouse gas production and climate change as well. Um, But yeah, the sustainable development goals um, are, they're just like worldwide, they're a really great framework for tackling some of the largest issues that our world faces. And um, a lot of what we do um, covers, like you mentioned, the the ones around responsible consumption and production, and then also climate action um, in terms of community building and outreach and education is a big part of what we do. And then the sustainable development goal number 14, uh, life below water is obviously tied uh, to the reason we started this company in terms of um, really promoting marine conservation and helping other organizations that are tackling those issues. When it comes to being in a very... um social impact oriented space of entrepreneurship, you kind of straddle this line between social activist and entrepreneur. How do you balance that, that, um, those two aspects of, of the game? And also how do you stay well through it? Because I've read a lot about both activist burnout and entrepreneurship burnout. And when you're doing both of those things, your passion and your purpose in life gets so embedded in your work. And so sometimes I can imagine that it could be hard to turn off or to pause or to be well through it. So how do you balance that? How do you manage that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the first part is that like the, the impact piece is definitely built into our business model. So there really isn't a distinction between having a great business and doing good. Um, they really are baked, uh, baked into each other. So the conversations around impact and things like our sourcing and where we get materials and things like that um, really revolves around those conversations about how we can do things better. Um, it's definitely embedded in what we do, everything from, um, you know, the, the products that are coming into the store to the contractor that we hired to the materials that we use to build out the store and, and things like that. Um, so that's the first part. And then, um, I would say as, as a team and as a company that 
um, especially under this framework of B Corporation, really does uh, value the health of both people and planet. Um, for us, people really is the biggest part of that conversation. So especially being in a retail business that is very customer facing and, and very heavy on um, on labor and like retail and the actual number of uh, team members that we have, fostering a culture that's really inclusive and open and um, not really, uh, I guess, one that doesn't really revolve around uh, stress has been really important to us. So that's something that we encourage, um, especially on our leadership team as well. Um, getting the store open itself and definitely the, the early stages were, you know, very, very hard and certainly uh, took a toll, especially on our sleep. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really great right now. We're definitely in a place where, you know, we're getting sleep and making sure that we take time to exercise and rest and, and get together uh, as a team and celebrate the milestones along the way. And uh, we're just trying to put a lot of time and energy into fostering a culture that encourages balance. Mm, and it is such like an endeavor to when you're going from that initial open startup mode to it's time to integrate it. And, and, you know, that can happen in a sprint, but it can't happen forever. And then shifting values accordingly. Absolutely. And I mean, especially with us, we're we're just a team that continues to grow really quickly. So we went from four to 24 people uh, quite quickly. <laughs> that's, like, that's quite a large jump and we continue to add people as we go. So um, yeah, really important to, to acknowledge the importance of, of time and, and balance um, as we continue to do that. And congratulations on that scaling because that's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's been really <laughs> exciting. Um, when it comes to resources available um, for entrepreneurs, especially when you're in a very innovative space or, or you know, you're bringing a new solution to market that hasn't really been seen before, um, what what did you access in terms of resources? You you are part of the CEO community. Um, you were a venture winner. How did that community impact you and, and where you were with the business at that time? And what other resources did you make use of that our listeners might be interested in knowing about or, or accessing themselves? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that conversation around resourcefulness and, and scrappiness is something uh, that Allison and I definitely really pride ourselves on. Uh, we've always been uh, really resourceful and we've we've bootstrapped our entire company to date, um, which is something that's been really, really, really great and really fun. And that deserves has, some applause. <laughs> that's yeah, huge. It has, it has its challenges as well. Um, but yeah, once you, I guess once you start to dig, there are a lot of resources that are available. Um, we're really lucky, for example, to be in Vancouver and have a really amazing uh, credit union here called Van City, who's been a really big supporter of us right from the get-go. Um, we've taken advantage of a lot, especially a lot of government uh, wage subsidy grants for our team. So as a business that's um, focusing on waste reduction and has this environmentally um, conscious focus to it, there are a lot of resources out there that are available for different projects and uh, wage subsidies as well. Um, certainly takes a lot of uh, you know, it takes a lot of work up front to, to look, but we've really leveraged um, different communities and advisors as well. It's been one of the, the biggest things that Allison and I um, still continue to do is to surround ourselves with people uh, that are smarter than us. And they often have lots of really great ideas and resources to tap into and access. The, the CEO community has definitely been uh, really integral, uh, not only to us opening our doors, but uh, sustaining ourselves as a business as well. So we were really lucky last year to be selected as one of the uh, Canadian venture winners. Um, there's a really, just a, an absolutely phenomenal network of women across the country who are supporting us that came through that. 
Um, for us, it's been really special connecting with ventures, especially that are on the West Coast. And uh, we're really lucky to have quite a few of us out in Vancouver and Victoria. Um, just really wonderful women that we're able to connect with, fellow CEOs. Uh, female CEOs uh, are often, you know, a hard thing to find. So it's been really wonderful having the other ventures and um, female founders to connect with over, you know, everything from life and work and everything in between. And then the CEO community itself has just led to uh, so many doors opening for us in terms of bringing on suppliers and partners, um, customers especially. So we've been really, really excited to be a part of that community. And I know they're really excited to see us grow as well. And in terms of uh, you were a venture winner, so there was funding available too through SHEO as well, just for those of our audience who might not be aware of their program. Yeah, so the the funding component is definitely a key uh, piece of the puzzle and support that SHEO provides. The way that they do that is is completely different and, and really innovative. So the application process for SHEO, it's, it's not like a pitch competition. It is uh, quite a simple application uh, to fill out. And then activators um, across the country essentially go through the applications and, and vote on the companies that they would like to see win. Um, so every year, uh, the pot of funding uh, that's provided by activators across the country essentially uh, is divvied up by the ventures themselves. So that's what's really uh, unique uh, and really fun as a venture to participate in those conversations. Um, so once the winners of that year are announced, the ventures come together uh, as a team for a couple days and they uh, essentially take a really good amount of time to, to get to know each other and learn about each other's businesses and companies and ultimately uh, decide and discuss as a team uh, how that funding is divvied up. Um, and what we actually saw uh, was that the pot of funding itself uh, really did grow exponentially. I think women really think outside the box and think differently. And so there were conversations, for example, around, you know, someone needing money for marketing, but someone else in the team could provide that marketing help or had a connection that they could tap into. So the pot of funding um, was just a small piece of the puzzle, but the resources that came out of those conversations were extremely valuable as well. That's awesome. I just became an activator myself, so I'm super pumped to be able to showcase the impact that CEO can have um, for example, through NADA. Oh, amazing. I'm so, so glad. Yeah. I'm so, so glad to hear that really our, our doors definitely would not be open um, without the funding in the community. So we're so grateful for the support and continue to, to help support uh, the network as we can ourselves too. Hmm. And speaking of uh, opening doors, when it goes to having a brick and mortar in a world that is becoming so digitized, we're seeing Amazon buying Whole Foods and the Instacarts of the world. Um, how has that impacted your trajectory and like opening the store? I feel like it just kind of makes sense that people will always need to go out to get their groceries, but also that when it comes to this kind of store, your community is so committed to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, opening opening any sort of retail space certainly has its its challenges. We're definitely not uh, short on those, but I do, I do agree. Um, a big part of what we're trying to do is to connect people to their food, and a big part of that comes through conversations that people have in person. So we want to be that store where 
we know the neighbors across the street and they know us and we know about their families and what they usually buy and, and things like that. And, you know, building those relationships and conversations uh, one person at a time, I think is very, um, just very integral to us as a society, right? Like people, I think, are starting to, you know, really crave connection and it's something that we're missing when we're all on our phones and online and not actually connecting in person. And I think for us, it's it's definitely not just a grocery store. It's a place where people can come in and have a conversation and learn about where their food comes from and what they can do with it and, you know, often meet some really cool people at the same time. I love that. And yeah. when it comes to um, mentorship and, and maybe advice that you've been given in the past, what's something that's really stuck for you in your entrepreneurial journey? Um. To sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely one of the biggest ones. I'm certainly taking that more to heart now. Uh, But yes, sleep honestly is is definitely something that's very important and needs to be prioritized. But like I mentioned before, just um, the concept of trying to surround people or surround ourselves with people who are smarter than us has definitely been really key to our success. Uh, I'll say that again. Sorry. Uh, Can I just say has been key to our success again? (laughs) Damn it. Okay. Um, that piece has really been key to our success. Um, an example of how uh, that manifested itself um, is uh, the way that we built an advisory board. So we have had some really amazing help from the get-go uh, from people with expertise in funding and grocery and retail um, that we've brought on to help us. And I think their expertise is definitely contributed to how uh, how well we're doing as a business and our ability to grow as quickly as we are. I ask this question to all of our guests uh, as we wrap up our interview, um, but what advice do you have for our audience uh, so that they can thrive in their business and life beyond sleep? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say definitely really leverage your network and your community. Um, Always ask questions. I think don't be afraid to reach out uh, when you need help. That's definitely something that's really fostered in the CEO community that we're really excited about. Um, So yeah, just knowing that, especially when you're doing something that's impactful um, and in the startup space, there are a myriad of people uh, out there who are willing to offer their time and expertise. And all you need to do to tap into it is to ask. Thank you so much for your time today, Brianne, and for sharing all your insights. And I can't wait to visit Nada when I come to Vancouver. Yeah, thank you so much. I'd definitely uh, love to host you and give you a quick tour when you can pop by. Amazing. <laughs> I, thank you so much. And on behalf of our listeners, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space, to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.